three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 393. Welcome in. Uh, a couple things I want to say real quick. Number one, one thing I did not anticipate about this show, but really about the haircut, is uh, the haircut has exposed my forehead tremendously. There's not only a tan line that's pretty bad. Uh, the, the lights are really shiny. Like My forehead is just the shiniest thing on this planet Earth. I'm like, oh my gosh, I look like a Twitter egghead. Uh, number two is uh, you guys don't need to tag me in Seattle Mariners stuff. I, uh, I've told the story many times that I, uh, as a child, was a Seattle Mariners fan. And in fact, the Mariners are the reason why I do not have a favorite team. I was a fan of the Seattle Supersonics. They left. I was a fan of the Seattle Mariners. They had a terrible front office that made me feel betrayed. I was like a 9, 13-year-old kid. And there was a point where I gave up on being a Seattle Mariners fan. Now, the Seattle Mariners did make the MLB playoffs. And and my, look, I, I found myself happy for my friends who are Mariners fans. I keep getting tagged and stuff, and that's just kind of a waste. It's a wasted notification for me. It's wasted effort for you. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of disappointed. You know, they got into the playoffs, and I'm like thinking maybe this will be the time I can go back and make peace and maybe be a fan again. And it happened, and I just felt entirely apathetic. I didn't care either way. I'm like, oh, well, that's that's nothing. It didn't didn't make my heart happy or sad. I just kind of... Like, just, eh, well, I don't know who's on the team anymore. I don't really care. I don't want to watch it. I, it's, you know, it's like when your ex-wife gets married, I would imagine. It's never happened to me. But I would imagine that when your ex-wife gets married again, you're not, like, angry, hopefully. But you're not, also not like, wow, sick, I want to go. Like, I don't really, I just, yeah, the, the Mariners made it in, and I, I feel nothing, really. And it's it's kind of fun. I keep getting tagged and stuff, and, um. I just find myself not really caring. I want to talk about this. It's a it's non-sports. One more thing, and it's non-sports. It's very, very important to me. Uh, on February 8th, 2016, my younger brother died. Uh, it's a very heavy message, by the way. Uh, my younger brother took his own life, and his name was Zane. He was uh, He's the reason I can throw a football. We played catch literally every day of my childhood, literally every single day. Uh, that poor kid, I, I would like force him to play catch with me every day. Like I wanted to learn how to play quarterback. And um, it's been, his death has been weighing really heavily on me this week. And so I wanted to try to share a positive message because uh, the times I regret most growing up are all the times that I yelled at him or was mean to him or like we had a pretty good relationship, I, I would hope. And I, I, you know, I can't talk to him today, unfortunately. But I, it's still when someone dies, mmm. All you think about, at least all I thought about for years, especially before therapy, were those negative conversations, the times things went badly or poorly. And so I just wanted to encourage everyone out there, you never know what other people are going through. You have no idea. Someone cuts you off in traffic. They're mean to you, especially people that work like minimum wage jobs. Dude, I used to work minimum wage. I did it for, you know, I worked seven days a week at a car wash. I dealt with so many awful customer. So next time you're checking out and the, you know, the guy at the grocery store is mean to you or uh, someone cuts you off in traffic or who, who knows, right? Maybe someone leaves a mean comment on Instagram or Twitter. Just remember 
everyone's going through a hard time. You never know what they're dealing with. And I just wanted to send out a message. Be kind to each other. Be positive as much as you can. And, and frankly, if someone is mean to you, try to turn the other cheek and just, you know, respond back with kindness because that'll, that'll rock their world. If someone's mean to you and you're like, hey, man, thanks. Have a good day. Like, they just, it gets, the piss gets taken right out of it. They have no idea what to do. It's pretty fun when someone's mean to you to be nice to them. Because they just – and it only works if you're, like, genuinely nice. If you're condescending and fake nice, eh, won't work. But if you're, like, genuinely, like – it just rolls right out. You ever, like – I read a book with it when I was a kid about ducks. And the water, like, just rolls right off of a duck's uh, feathers because it's got, like, beaded stuff. And uh, it makes no sense. I can't even tell you the science of that. But I know that the way that water rolls right off of a duck's feathers, just let it roll right off of you. Hey, someone's mean to you. No problem, man. What's up? Have a good day. I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt. I just, I'm feeling really good today. And I want to just share that message. Hey, if, as much as you can today and throughout this week, try to, if someone's mean to you, eh, just remember they're probably like, maybe their dad died that morning. Maybe they got in a car accident. Maybe they're worried about paying their bills. You never know. And just try to be empathetic this week. Uh, there were two really big surprising moves in the NFL made today. The Patriots cut corner Stephon Gilmore. He won the NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 2019. Big shock. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on there? I have a theory. I'll share it in a moment. Uh, Also, the Dallas Cowboys cut linebacker Jalen Smith. These are two really good football players who uh, were surprising across the league when they got cut. Now, Jalen Smith, his play has been declining for a while, and he's probably overpaid. I want to ask people, give me some more time to gather more information I It feels irresponsible to develop a strong opinion without all of the information available. So I'm still learning. It's still a developing story. I'm sharing this early in the morning uh, as I get information, as I collect everything. My hypothesis here, and it's likely that these people were cut because of their big contracts. And, you know, the Patriots, Dallas, the Cowboys, they felt like, they were overpaying based on the current ability and output of Stephon Gilmore and Jalen Smith. Uh, but like I said, this is a developing story. And give me time to collect as many details as I can. I kind of would like to just wait to make a big, heavy topic about this until either until they go somewhere else and sign new contracts and go to another team. Or maybe even like halfway through the year, we'll be like, hey, Stephon Gilmore is killing it for, let's say, the Packers or... Tampa, right? Maybe he goes to Tampa. Stephon Gilmore has another amazing year. And we're like, well, Bill Belichick is an idiot. Let's, I'm in no hurry at all to share a strong opinion here. Like, let's just see what happens. Um, I, I, you know, I would imagine Stephon Gilmore, especially, is not going to be a free agent very long. Like I said, Green Bay is a great fit. I'd love to see that happen. I saw that, um, gosh, what's it? Uh, Devontae Adams was commenting on his farewell post to New England saying, hey, Message me, bro. Maybe they're trying to meet up in Green Bay. Maybe Tampa's a good fit. Maybe Kansas City. Everyone, every time anybody becomes available, people are like, Kansas City needs to be where that person goes because everyone's chasing a championship. Uh, I don't know. I will say it's very weird the Patriots did not trade away Stephon Gilmore. They cut him, which means they didn't get anything back in return. Is there a financial reason for that? What's going on there? I don't know. Was it a message to the rest of the roster? Hey, you got to deliver or we're one in three. I will cut anybody 
And if you're not performing at a high level, you're gone. Maybe that's the message Bill Belichick is sharing. I, I have no idea. This is why I said it's a developing story. Give me time to gather, to talk to sources, to do some research, to hear rumors sprout up everywhere. In a week, we'll know more. In eight weeks, we'll know way more. And I'm just, I want to tell you now, uh, it's a big story, but I'm in no hurry to break down every little detail about this. It's still developing. And uh, these are two guys, though, I got to say, Jalen Smith, I'm curious what his storyline ends up being because he's not as good as he once was. Stephon Gilmore's injured. He's on the pup list, the physically unable to perform list. So I would imagine Stephon Gilmore can go to another team and contribute to a Super Bowl right away. And is he going to go to the Rams? Is he going to go to, again, Tampa, Green Bay, Kansas City? I would think he's going to go to a team like that, a team that's in the hunt. Buffalo would be really cool. Imagine if he went to Buffalo, the same division as the Patriots. Like, ooh, ooh, that would be fun. I hadn't thought about that till right now. That's a good landing spot potentially for Stephon Gilmore. Remember, finances become a factor here. The Patriots didn't want to pay him. He wanted They wanted him to take a pay cut. Stephon Gilmore did not want to take a pay cut. He thought he was more valuable. I think money was a problem there. And uh, it might play a factor in where he goes next. Does he want to get paid? Does he want to win a ring? I We will find out. Okay, uh, there was a cut there. I have to record an insert to update you because we got new information today, much faster than I expected. So, hello, it's Zach coming to you from the future. And, and maybe, like, now that I think about it, I guess maybe it's just that it's me still from the past, just a little bit later. So that's really what it is. Anyway, apparently the Patriots actually, instead of cutting stuff on Gilmore, they traded him to the Carolina Panthers for a 2023 sixth round pick. And how that happens is the Patriots release the information we're planning to release Stephon Gilmore. And then the Panthers are like, oh, hold up, buddy. We'll take him. We'll trade for him. We'll take that contract. And that's what happens. That's how that works. And uh, that's how you get, it's not like people lied. It's not like I was like, hey, it's the, the Patriots released this information. And then last minute made a change. Kind of interesting. I didn't really, I never have seen that happen very often. Um, but really what I, I walk away from, first of all, let me ask you this. How many times has Bill Belichick made a move like that and it has paid off? Think about the past. I think of Wes Welker. I think of Randy Moss. I think of, there's all kinds of so many players he's moved off of because not because they were bad players, but because their value proposition wasn't very good anymore. Bill Belichick clearly decided that, hey, I'm paying Stephon Gilmore more than he's worth based on his ability and what he can do today for my football team. And you can criticize it. I get it. Former defensive player of the year. It's it's not, it's a little bit confusing. However, again, how many, like he got Tom Brady wrong. And and did, did Bill Belichick really get the Tom Brady move wrong? Because Bill Belichick said, I don't want to pay Tom Brady that much money because I don't think we can win a Super Bowl with him. He he was right. Brady needed to leave to Tampa to win a Super Bowl. So I before you doubt Bill Belichick, just remember how many times he's made moves like this before and was dead on. Now, the thing is, I love, love, love the Carolina Panthers general manager, Scott Fitterer. That's a hard, Fitterer, E-R, E-R at the end. Uh, he is making moves, man. He seems like, basically, uh, again, he, he said, we're going to make, you know, I see you, New England. Let's make a move. Let's make it happen. He's now traded for C.J. Henderson, Stephon Gilmore. He tra uh, drafted J.C. Horn. He's building this defense. Now, Stephon Gilmore, it's hard to tell how good he's going to be. He's 31 years old, coming off of an injury. 
But here's the thing. Even if Gilmore doesn't have a lot left in the tank, maybe they overpay him for, you know, his contract only goes for next year, too. So they overpay him next year. He moves on after that. He's still valuable, even if he's not a really outstanding corner. And by the way, they can't afford him. Because Stephon Gilmore, on top of bringing really good high-level play at corner, we, we think, depending on how well he bounces back from the injury. I think he's good. I think Again, I think it was that Belichick didn't want to pay him at that price. It wasn't that Stephon Gilmore's terrible. But even if he's bad, let's assume Stephon Gilmore physically isn't what he used to be. Well, he can still mentor J.C. Horn and C.J. Henderson and play a little bit along the way. So it's a good move all around. I, I still don't fully understand how New England really benefits, although I guess they just looked at the books and were like, we don't want this contract. Let's make a move now. Uh, it's interesting that uh, he did not hit free agency. I thought Stephon Gilmore was going to be a free agent. I'm like, the Green Bay Packers are going to make a move. I thought that was what we were going to uh, gearing up to see. And Carolina, not my top choice, swept in, said, hey, we're going to make a sly little move. Hey, Patriots, have you made the move yet? Like, basically, Scott Fitterer said, hey, Bill, did you cut Stephon Gilmore yet? Oh, hey, interesting you did it. We'll, we'll give you a six-round pick. And Bill said, hey, it's better than cutting him, so sure, let's do it. I did not expect them to go to Carolina. Good for them. They were building a really good football team there in Carolina. And I am very excited about their future. Now, we got another big story. Uh, the Packers are finalizing a deal to bring in linebacker Jalen Smith, the guy who got released by the Cowboys. So bang, bang, bang. I, I cannot believe how quickly these things changed. Clearly, I was, I was like, I'll put out a video. I'll say, you know, oh, hey, they got released, and we'll see what happens. And then bang, instantly, like before I could even finish putting out the video, uh, we get more news and more information. I'm excited to see how these two guys do. Jalen Smith with the Packers, Stephon Gilmore with the Carolina Panthers. I, I'm really curious if these two players will prove that getting rid of them was a mistake. Will, will Jalen Smith be like, hey, Cowboys, you should have kept me? Will Stephon Gilmore show that you shouldn't have traded me away, Bill? I don't know. I, I'm very curious, and I have to admit, they got to new teams way, way faster than I thought they would. Okay, uh, let's shift gears to my next topic. I actually, part of why I had to record this uh, like interstitial, this little cut in where I'm like, hey, it's me from the future is that, you know, this next topic, I put it out this morning. It got entirely, not, no, no, it didn't get entirely ruined, but certainly like a lot of the stuff I say is now automatically outdated because of the Bears head coach, Matt Nagy, totally flip-flopping. I don't get what he's doing. He says one day on Monday, Andy Dalton is a starting quarterback in Chicago. Hey, then two days later, suddenly now Justin Fields is a starting quarterback. And I'm like, I, I think that's the good thing. I mean, technically it goes along with what I said. I don't know. Maybe just the, the lesson here is this is why I record podcasts at 3 a.m. Is so that I can, the day ends and I recap the day, whatever happened. And then I move on to the next day. And I, I maybe I just don't do podcasts again during the middle of the day, if it's time-sensitive stuff, if that makes sense. I don't know. Because, um, you know, when, when everyone's sleeping, East Coast goes to bed, I'm to be typing away on my computer and preparing information for the podcast, and I record at 6 a.m. East Coast time, I get it out, bam, done, then stuff happens by noon, and I re react to that. I don't know. I'm learning how this works, but um, let's jump in. I just wanted to give you a warning that, hey, Justin Fields has been named the new Bears starting quarterback, and that does slightly impact things in this topic. Although I, I still, it's a great topic. Like, I really hope you enjoy it. The sentiment is the same. There's a lesson here you can learn from 
Matt Nagy's treatment of Mitchell Trubisky, of Justin Fields, of Daniel Jones in New York. Not not that Matt Nagy had his hands on him, but my point is that this topic is really about the environment you develop a quarterback in. And if it's bad, obviously that's bad for the young quarterback. So, uh, hey, past Zach, older than, I can't even, I can't do this feature thing anymore. Anyway, Zach, take it away. (laughs) Talking to myself. Enjoy the next segment. Here you go. There are two quarterbacks you can apply this topic to. Number one is rookie quarterback Justin Fields in Chicago. And number two, the other guy is Daniel Jones in New York with the Giants. When I watch both of them, it looks like they're holding something back. Justin Fields, I want to see him run around and extend plays and use his legs to keep plays alive. Daniel Jones, I I feel like Daniel Jones just needs to let loose. I want that to happen. Maybe he needs to get a mohawk and tattoos, change his name to Danny Touchdown. I don't know. I want to see more of an edge from Daniel Jones, the Giants quarterback. He needs to play more free, not be worried about making mistakes. And there's a way that we get there, but it's really, really complicated and difficult. So the way I want to introduce this topic is a while back, I recorded an interview with one of my all-time favorite coaches. His name is John Eagle. I first met him in high school. I played against his football team. He won multiple state titles. And then now he is the quarterback coach at Portland State University, a division one college football program. I want to play a two minute clip from our conversation. Uh, There's a lot here. I'm going to let it play out and then I will break it all down afterward. Enjoy that clip right now. I think we just have a sit down one-on-one conversation uh, with kids and just said, tell me about you and how you see yourself playing quarterback and, and what do you tell me what your strengths are and what you need to work on. And I, I don't I look at it like uh, I'm not trying to put a square peg in a round hole. I'm just trying to take a look at the things I watch you play and, and look at the things that you do well. And then let's put the up, uh, put the offense together around the things that you can do. You know, I have things I like to do offensively, but that doesn't mean that's the best thing to do for the team is. What can our quarterback do and what kind of talent does he have around him to get it done? I just think sometimes you give the quarterback too much to think about and you you produce a robot, which we don't want. We need to take some risks. You need to understand who you are. Uh, If your players aren't as good as your opponent, you got to take more chances. The other thing is you got to allow your quarterback to make mistakes because then you get a guy who doesn't want to make a mistake. And then we, I want to talk to our quarterbacks here at Portland State about uh, being on script and off script. You know, an on script quarterback is a kid that is a pleaser and he wants to do everything right and he never goes off script. Like, you know, if you went out, for, you're in drama and you're in a play, the guy who's on script reads it word for word. Uh you have to quarterbacks got to be able to do some of that, but you got to go. The great ones go off script. So you know Patrick Mahomes, uh, he will a lot of times go off script, and that's that. That's what makes him great. Is a guy. A guy. Well, how do you know when to go on script or off script? Well, some kids are afraid to make mistakes. They've been they've been yelled at too many times since they've been in junior high, so they're afraid to make mistakes. Hearing Coach Eagle talk there makes me really concerned about the current Chicago Bears head coach, Matt Nagy. 
and his approach being used with his quarterback room. If you want your quarterback to make big plays, then they need to feel comfortable enough and feel free enough to take a risk or two. Part of why Patrick Mahomes is so successful in Kansas City is that Casey gives him freedom to try new stuff, to be creative. There is not ever a moment where Patrick Mahomes is going to get benched this year. If he makes a mistake, no big deal. We might point it out, but he's not going to lose his job over an interception or two. Patrick Mahomes has, I mean, he's earned the right, surely. But he also does have a solidified starting job, and that does matter. When your coach says, hey, I trust you. If you make a mistake, we're not going to pull the plug and go, ah, next guy up. Matt Nagy's former quarterback is Mitchell Trubisky. He's now the Buffalo Bills backup quarterback. During Trubisky's time in Chicago, Mitchell Trubisky was often hesitant to pull the trigger on deep balls. And I always blamed Mitchell Trubisky for that. But now I'm starting to understand and starting to believe that it's because his coach, Matt Nagy, did not create an environment where mistakes could be forgiven. And this really turned my whole football world on its head. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I reflect that on my entire career as a quarterback. I'm like, well, I didn't pull the trigger enough. And I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I never felt safe either when I played quarterback. And it really, really shook me awake. Quarterbacks need to be given room to experiment. If you do not experiment, you're not going to make big plays. Matt Nagy refuses to commit to his rookie quarterback, Justin Fields. He has said, even now, after the guy won a game last week, that if Andy Dalton is healthy, then Andy Dalton is going to be the starting quarterback in Chicago. I'm sorry, that's weird. And I truly believe that the worst thing you can do to a quarterback, the worst thing you can do to your quarterback is to put them in an environment where it's hard for them to be confident. It's their job. They got to let comments roll off their back. Sure. But Matt Nagy has made things very, very difficult for Justin Fields. He's gotten in his way and made it hard for Justin Fields to feel confident and secure in his role. That's really bad. That's unforgivable. That's bad coaching, in my opinion. Now, Daniel Jones in New York, everybody knows Daniel Jones can run. How many times during his career has he broken off a long run, either for a big gain or for a touchdown? Like, I'm sorry, but if you watch Daniel Jones at all, it's heavily apparent that he can run around. But it's weird. What you rarely see from Daniel Jones is him go off script and create big plays and extend plays. And the contrast between Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones, yeah, Kyler's a little bit quicker. But Kyler's playing style is different. Watch Kyler Murray. If nothing's open, he buys time, he creates, he, he, he extends plays, he keeps plays alive. I am certain Daniel Jones is capable of that, but I've never seen that. Usually the only time you see Daniel Jones run is on a designed quarterback running play. It's a specific play call, like on his own read or a quarterback sprint out, something like that. You never see Daniel Jones just go off script and ad lib. And to me, watching clearly, Daniel Jones has not been given the freedom to experiment. It's so obvious when you watch him play, you're like, it feels like he's holding something back, whether he's afraid or he's, there's something going on there. Because it's, it's so clear that he is capable of more. He can run around. He's got a great deep ball. I want to see more of both. I want to see Daniel Jones let it rip. Daniel touchdown. Mohawk. Tattoos. I don't care. I want the guy 
to play more carefree, to not apologize, to not feel the weight of New York being angry anytime he makes any little mistake. And I, I understand. I've been critical of Trubisky. I've been critical of Justin Fields. I've been critical of all these people. I, I'm part of the problem. You hear me admitting that, right? Like, I, I'm trying to share a change in my philosophy to some degree, which is, man, it's it, the environment around a quarterback is not talked about enough. Does your quarterback feel safe to pull the trigger on a deep ball? If something goes wrong, is he going to get benched or berated? Coach John Eagle, that guy I played an interview of, he has a philosophy. He has one thing he'll yell at you for. He'll pick one thing. Otherwise, he's going to talk to you respectfully. For example, he made a comparison that when he coached high school football, like his cornerback coach had a rule, I'm only going to yell at you if people get deep behind you. As long as you never let people behind you, hey, that's my one thing I'll pull the trigger on and go, go crazy on. Otherwise, I'm going to speak to you respectfully and calmly. When I was a head coach, I would tell our assistants, you got to have one thing that you get pissed about one and you tell the players what it is so if you're the corner coach and you get beat deep that might be your way oh here it comes that matters so so much you don't want to be the guy yelling about everything he, he, another thing that he said i'm, I'm going to play the quote here he, he said basically that if you live by a train eventually you tune it out if you yell all the time no one's going to hear it. You know, we, we use the metaphor, you know, you heard the story about the guy that lived by the railroad tracks. Pretty soon he never heard the train anymore. So if you are the coach who is always yelling, they're not, at some point they're not going to listen to you anymore. So if you live in a constant situation where it's not safe to make mistakes, it really affects your quarterback. Are you a coach encouraging your quarterback to use his legs to run around, extend plays? Daniel Jones is obviously a great athlete. But in my opinion, he does not use his athletic ability enough. It's infuriating to watch. I'm like, I, I know there's more here. Something's being left on the table. It's really hard to watch. And it makes me wonder, is he not being encouraged to run around more and extend plays? And why not? If he's not, the Giants are one and three. I want to see Daniel Jones run around more and extend plays. He's capable of it. Can we make it happen? And maybe this is half a joke, like half of it is a joke. It's also like a weird, fun theory. Maybe the Giants need to hire some kind of really creative college coach to be their offensive coordinator. Like, for example, could you pay Lincoln? Lincoln Riley is the king of the castle at Oklahoma University. He's not leaving anytime soon. But what if you gave him like $100 million and said, hey, come be the offensive coordinator? Like, do something crazy if you're New York. Let's get a coach who's really, really creative who can pull the best out of Daniel Jones. And maybe like Lincoln Riley's, I don't know, especially after Urban Meyer, like do I trust a college coach to come work in the NFL? Definitely not. Maybe you need a coach, uh, you need Urban, you know, Lincoln Riley's the offensive coordinator. You need a guy who knows the NFL to be the head coach. Maybe that's a terrible idea too because Lincoln Riley is a head coach now and being an offensive coordinator is a step backwards. I don't know. Maybe you hire Joe Brady from Carolina. Like, I'm spitballing here. But it's very clear to me that the environment around Daniel Jones and Justin Fields in Chicago, they're not being encouraged enough to take risks. And I want to see both of them play off script a little more. If nothing's open, extend the play. Keep it alive. They're, they're playing safe and they're playing scared and they're playing like they don't have the freedom 
to make a mistake. If they don't, they're going to get benched or get yelled at or potentially lose their job. And it's not a healthy environment for a quarterback to play in. And by the way, fans can be part of the problem. Giants fans, I love you. You are passionate. You care. Bears fans, you guys are insane. Y'all are brutal. I love both fan bases. Giants fans, Bears fans, I love you guys. I really do. The, the worst crime you can commit as a fan is to be apathetic and not care. So as a, as a person who talks about sports for a living, you guys pay my bills. I love you. But you guys, let me tell you, you apply a ton of pressure. And you are always calling for somebody's job, it feels like. And that has a trickle-down effect. When you call for the general manager's job, he puts pressure on the coach. And then the coach puts pressure on the quarterback. Fans don't realize that when you boo people, you're being counterproductive. When you boo your own team, you're just hurting yourself. You're making your team on the field even worse. And you don't realize this maybe, but basically if you boo your own team, you're encouraging your own misery. It's like, uh. Like, I get it. I understand. You're unhappy. And I, I certainly hate the thought of a fan base that doesn't hold ownership accountable because when you have an owner that hires a bad GM or a bad coach, like, you got to let them know. But maybe the best way is just to not go to games, to not buy gear. If you don't give them money, that's how you punish an owner into making a change, right? They listen to money way more than they listen to you booing at games. Because if you're booing but you're there, they're still making cheddar, Anyway, the point is that the environment around Justin Fields is really unhealthy. Matt Nagy, as coach, is not promoting confidence. He's not said, Justin's my guy. He said, hey, uh, Justin, you might lose your job at any time, and you never know when. That is not healthy for a young quarterback to feel confident and comfortable in the position. And New York with the Giants, I don't know what it is, whether it's coaching, whether it's pressure. Some, somebody needs to sit down with Daniel Jones and have a conversation and say, look, dude, you're clearly a great athlete. Let's watch film of Kyler Murray and how can we add this aspect to your game because there's something missing here. There's some kind of disconnect. Is it because you're not comfortable? Is it because you don't feel safe to do that? Is it because you've never played that way? I don't know. But something is keeping Daniel Jones from letting loose and going off script. I don't know what it is yet. I, I, I will you know, ask as many people as I can try to figure it out. It's like a, it's like a mystery hunt, right? We're gonna, trying to solve this mystery, but... Something's holding back Daniel Jones. I don't know what it is, and it's pretty clear that's happening either way because he's capable of more, and we're not seeing more. And I just I, – I think so often we blame the quarterback. We blame this. We blame that. And, and we don't ever talk about the environment around a quarterback. Confidence matters. And are they putting in a position – are they being put in a position to be confident in the first place? That is a question I think almost nobody – ever will ask. And so I wanted to ask it today on Strong Opinion Sports and uh, pay attention to that. Is Daniel Jones comfortable enough? Is he in a safe position to make a mistake where he can take a risk? Because he's not going to make any big plays off script if he's never afforded the ability and the opportunity to do that. All right. Uh, Guys, I recorded this next topic last night. So if you're watching, I'm going to be wearing a different shirt. That is why. But let's now talk about Urban Meyer. There are two new developments in the Urban Meyer story that we need to talk about. They're not about the incident itself. I don't care about the girl, the bar, that stuff. I care about the way this impacts Urban Meyer's ability to do his job. So Michael Silver, a journalist, uh, he worked for 13 years for Sports Illustrated, uh, put a thread on Twitter. He said, thread number one, 
The Urban Meyer, and I'm going to read the whole thing. He said, the Urban Meyer situation in Jacksonville has reached a crisis point, especially in the locker room. One player told me he had zero credibility in that stadium. He had very little to begin with. Number two, players were partially put off by the fact that Meyer canceled Monday's team meeting as he dealt with the uproar over the videos of him and a young woman getting cozy in that Ohio bar. He even canceled the team meeting. He was too scared, a player said. Instead, Urban Meyer only apologized to position groups individually. He portrayed the woman in the videos as a random person who was just there dancing. Suffice to say, his audience was highly skeptical. Number four, as one player said, we looked at him like, WTF? Right when he left, everyone started dying laughing, and he knew it. Bottom line, the player said, it's bad. I don't know how he's going to function. So that's one thing. And then the Jaguars owner said this. I have addressed this matter with Urban. Specifics of our conversation will be held in confidence. What I will say is his conduct last weekend was inexcusable. I appreciate Urban's remorse, which I believe is sincere. Now, he must regain our trust and our respect. That will require a personal commitment from Urban to everyone who supports, represents, or plays for our team. I am confident he will deliver. Inexcusable is the word. <sighs> Guys, I... I you have to fire Urban Meyer. I, I don't, here's my thing. I don't care about coaches as much as I care about the players. I always will side with players. And you have to give your team, your players, a good leader and people they can look to and believe in. And the minute you lose the locker room, it's over. I, like I said, hey, if people, his team, because I, I thought maybe it would go to his advantage, at least in the NFL, they care about winning and they, they want to get paid. College is a lot more about rah-rah and stuff like that, building players. Maybe in the NFL, I said, his team is going to look at it and go, well, can he coach? That's what we care about. However, apparently, oh, his team laughed at him. They don't care. They don't respect him. And I've never in my wildest dreams thought I would hear an owner say, our coach has to earn my respect. What are you talking about? That's very weird. I, I thought the minute you don't respect your head coach, you fire the guy. It's very weird. I just I had to talk about all this because it's like, man, I, I really cannot believe that. I, I, like, it, we're already. I, I talked about it just the other day and was very clear. I was like, look, we'll see how the team responds. The team responded very badly, and I just don't know how you continue this. I, I think you have to fire Urban Meyer. Uh, it's not about the immoral act. It's not about cheating on your wife. It's. I think that's terrible. I think that's bad. But the real problem is if your team doesn't respect you. You, what are you doing now? You can't, you can't work with that. You can't have a coach that the team laughs at and the owner doesn't respect. And to me, that's enough evidence to say, eh, we got to cut it. If the team had responded very well and said, well, Urban, you made a mistake. And it's pretty clear, too, that they don't like him or respect him to begin with. Because if I'm trying to think, all the coaches I've had, if they had a mistake and it happened and um, they, they came and were honest and I felt like they were being honest, I'd probably say, well, he made a mistake and we got his back. The team doesn't have his back. And another weird thing, I was talking to my fiance about this. We were just swimming. And, you know, Urban Meyer, if this happens in the offseason, okay, fair enough. Guy made a mistake. He's clearly a bad person, but whatever. He did this after a game. Like, he sent the entire team home on a plane, and he stayed in Ohio. I have never in my life heard that. I've never heard of a coach doing that. It's so unprofessional. Leaders always talk about you have to lead by example. You set the tone. You're the head coach. They look to you for guidance and follow your example. Urban Meyer's example is horrible. And 
I, I just the fact that he didn't fly home with the team. He's doing naughty dumb stuff. It sounds like he's not even owning up to what really happened. The minute the players lose respect for him, you got to fire him. It's already happened. The owner doesn't respect him. The players are laughing at him. Uh, you got to get rid of the guy. I, I don't know how you retain Urban Meyer any longer. And uh, you got to fire Urban Meyer. All right. Well, uh, guys, I'm going to take a short break. Uh, when I return, we will do Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. We will dive into questions from the audience. I love you. I appreciate you. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Let me let you in on a little change I made to the podcast today. I decided to add two topics at the end. We will talk about Thursday Night Football, do a preview of the Rams and Seattle tonight at the end of the show. The second to last topic is the four college football games I'm most excited to watch during college football week six. So uh, that'll be the last two topics after Ask Zach. But today... Uh, it's my, time for my favorite part of the show today, as if it's like not obviously today. Dude, the time thing today, really, I'm bouncing all over, like time traveling in my show. It's confusing, it, the, weird cuts. Anyway, it is now time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. In case you do not know, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally pays my rent. Uh, at least it, it definitely helps. Uh, and... A dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to answer that on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every question with my eyeballs, and I pick the top couple to read on the show. Let me also say, I, I want to do college football um, like, like film analysis videos, basically, and I, I can't currently make any money doing them. So I... I I'm, I'm working on getting sponsors. That's like my number one priority. But one thing that you can, I can say, like, the more you support me on Patreon and take pressure off of my bills, the more I can do film analysis stuff. Because then I, because I don't, I don't really make money on film analysis stuff. People don't realize, like, I do that. I, I, it's like, it's, I have to make money and survive. And I, I'm rambling here. I, I actually, I don't like, I don't feel comfortable with this. So let me just say, if you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is give a dollar a month on Patreon. I don't feel comfortable saying, hey, you get film analysis. We're not there yet. I'm working on getting sponsors. I, I just want you to know, like, film analysis is something that has been something I want to do. And one thing to alleviate the pressure off of me in my life is to support me on Patreon. And if you would like that, uh, no promises. I just, I just want you to know, like, that's the best way to support me. Is that, does that feel honest and fair? I'm trying my best to not... I hate false advertising. I don't want to do that, um, and I, I really don't want to. I just know that we're coming up on college football season. I, those I can't monetize at all. There's no way to make money there, and I'm working on sponsors. I'm working on figuring it all out, but I just want to let you know that uh, I might as well say it. Like One thing you can do to help me out is to support the show on Patreon. Wow. Uh, didn't mean to give a long pitch. I, I hope – like I, I got to remember I'm talking to friends of the show, people who support me. Uh, and also, like, $12 a year, a dollar a month. That's a very small ask. So um, I guess I guess I'm trying to be ethical. I'm trying to be fair. I'm trying to be nice. I, 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 I hate, like, begging for money. It's the worst thing. I don't like being a salesman. Uh, it's, it's uncomfortable to me. So there's my, my whole thought process there. Josh writes in. He says, you know it's bad when fans start calling for Dwayne Haskins to be their starting quarterback. 
Yeah, it's also sad when Pittsburgh has no backup plan at quarterback. It's like, what are you? How you you created? I'm so proud of the topic I did the other day about Big Ben and climate change, like two clear and obvious eventual problems that weren't being solved or taken care of. I'm like, that's great topic. Very proud of that one. Uh, there is a point where if this year is lost, if there's a point where Pittsburgh realizes, oh, you know what? Like, it's not working. We're not going to make the playoffs. We have a terrible record. If that point does come, then I, I'm begging Pittsburgh to play Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. Screw Big Ben. You gave him a final year. It didn't work out very well. Definitely do not play Mason Rudolph. I want the Steelers to find out what they have in Dwayne Haskins. If Look, if, the, if there's like five games left and you're – have a terrible record, just play Dwayne Haskins. First of all, you get to figure out what you have. Second of all, if you lose a bunch of games, it makes you better off next year with a higher draft pick. So I want to see Dwayne Haskins play if, it's a big if, if the year gets entirely away from Pittsburgh. Like week 13, if they're, I don't know with the math on that, if they're like, if they have a terrible record week 13, you will see me on the show lobbying. Hey, please. Let's play Dwayne Haskins. I'm with you guys. We're not there yet, but if things get really bad, I will support that 100,000%. Brandon writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, a lot of quarterbacks have been playing well this year. Even Jared Goff is playing statistically well, even on a bad Lions team. Do you think that with the amount of rookies coming in the league in large quantities in the first round and with the rules of protecting the quarterback, allowing them to play longer, that there will be in a few years, an oversaturation of first-round talent playing backup quarterback roles. Your content is awesome. You don't get enough credit for your hard work. Thank you, Brandon. Absolutely. Do you understand how many good young quarterbacks there are that are going to be in next year's NFL draft? And there's not that many jobs available. We live in a world where Justin Fields fell to the number 11 overall pick. Most years, that doesn't happen. Most years, Justin Fields is the number one overall pick. That year that Jared Goff was drafted, Justin Fields probably would have been the number one pick that year. Think about it. Christian Ponder, Jake Locker, like, we're getting better and better and better than we ever have before from the quarterback position. Mac Jones was the 15th overall pick. He, he might be the best quarterback so far after four weeks. He's certainly way farther ahead of the other guys mentally and processing. I really like Denver. Uh, Denver's coach, Vic Fangio, talked about taking Teddy Bridgewater and, and committing to him as quarterback and drafting a corner, Patrick Sertan, rather than drafting a quarterback. He said something along the lines of, he said it's harder to find a really great young corner, like Deion Sanders-level corner right now, than it is to find a really high-level quarterback. And, and I actually kind of agree. Think about it. How rare is Deion Sanders? How rare? And that's a high bar to live up to. I guess it's probably not quite fair to compare Patrick Sertan to that. But if Vic Fangio thinks he's that, yeah, you draft him. Because think, think of how the abundance of young quarterbacks there are in the NFL. They got Teddy Bridgewater. They're 3-1. and one. They're doing well. And then think about the playground. Like you're in, in grade school, elementary school, middle school, whatever it is. Everybody wants to have that football and throw it at recess. Everybody wants to be quarterback. I remember, do you know how hard I had to fight? This guy named uh, Malik Stewart 
massive dude. He literally had facial hair in sixth grade. Big dude. Played linebacker on another team. It was so frustrating, by the way, in middle school. He didn't play for our team. He went to the other team and played for another school, which is totally like illegal and wrong, but no one, no one's tracking middle school football. Kicked our butts. I was like, well, can't we just have Malik on our team playing running back? And anyway, I had to like wrestle the ball away from Malik and convince him, no, I swear, I'll throw you the ball if I play quarterback. Like everybody wants to play quarterback in middle school and elementary school. How many guys want to play corner? Hey, I want to guard that guy. You know what happens when you play corner? You're put in a position where you're likely going to get embarrassed, or it's it's a very high chance of getting embarrassed because you're trying to guard some other dude who's really fast. You got to run. You got to try to guard someone. Your opportunity for success is way lower. Like, it's rare. Even if you do, like, you make a good play at corner. You're not the hero. People forget that. They blame the quarterback. Bad throw. Corner gets forgotten. My point is that I, I actually, the more I think about what Vic Fangio did drafting a corner rather than a quarterback. I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks out there. A lot of guys next year. Like, if Denver doesn't have a guy, if Teddy Bridgewater isn't the guy, they get another guy next year. And there are, there's, an, there's so many quarterbacks in the league right now. And there are, guys, there are good quarterbacks that can't get on the field. Gardner Minshew is one. Uh, Trubisky, I would love to see Mitchell Trubisky get another shot. Here's the thing. In the 90s, Mitchell Trubisky, who was a number two overall pick, instead of being the backup in Buffalo right now, he'd be a starting quarterback somewhere else. Because teams would say, oh, he was good. Let's give him a shot. They don't need to do that anymore because there's so many good quarterbacks around the NFL. So um, I think that's an interesting conversation, the, the elementary school playground. Everybody wants to play quarterback. Nobody wants to play corner. That is giving us a, a league where all the focus, all the attentions on the quarterback position and, and positions like running back and corner are less valuable. But are they really? There's just less people playing it, which actually, you know, by the law of supply and demand means that corner might be the more valuable position, more valuable than ever before. Okay, Joseph writes in. He says, the Jets won a game. <laughs> I can't describe how happy I was to see Bullock miss that kick. Zach Wilson absolutely balled out in the second half. It was almost enough to bring its tear to this disgruntled Jets fan's eye. It's okay to cry. Hey, Joseph, go ahead and cry, man. You're happy your team won? Fair enough. My question this week is, uh, and there are two pretty simple ones. What impressed you most about the Jets' performance against the Titans this week? And what do you think Zach Wilson needs to do to continue building on this momentum? I just think it's confidence. Zach Wilson is the, like, he has this unshakable, he's like Joe Burrow. You're not going to mess with him. You're not going to get in his head. Think of Baker Mayfield. Everyone hates on Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield wins games. He walked on at Texas Tech. He walked on Oklahoma. He won the Heisman Trophy. He was the number one overall pick. Look, you doubt him every time, but Baker always finds a way to overcome. A massive part of the quarterback position is being confident and so confident that you cannot let that be shaken at all. People doubt you? Screw them. Who cares? Like, if you have that kind of confidence, then it doesn't matter if somebody doubts you. That's who Zach Wilson is. Zach Wilson made Aaron Rodgers level throws against the Tennessee Titans last week. It's unbelievable. And I, I'm going to make a film analysis about him. So I'm not going to say much more, but 
Dude, Zach Wilson, I was really high on him in the NFL draft, and he had a bad first couple weeks, and I think it's... When I, sorry, the NFL is really hard. It's a little different playing for the Jets than it is for BYU. Oh, and by the way, your team is awful. It's okay that Zach Wilson wasn't immediately amazing. Well, let's not kid ourselves here. Zach Wilson's going to be an outstanding quarterback. I'm, I've been telling you for really for like a year and a half. Zach Wilson's unbelievable. And I, I want people to, I, I don't mind being the first person to say it, but I definitely will not be the last. Watch. As the year goes on, maybe, maybe in the next year, you'll see people will start to go, oh yeah, Zach was right. And you'll hear other voices pretending like they knew all along that Zach Wilson was going to be good. Don't forget when I told you he is likely, and I, 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 said, so like, I didn't say the word likely. I said, I said Zach Wilson at the time of the draft was the best quarterback right now. Trey Lance might eventually become better than Zach Wilson. Trey Lance is a high ceiling too. But Zach Wilson is the guy. He's lethal. He is deadly. He is confident. He can make any throw. Dude. Give it time, because Zach Wilson's going to be unfreaking believable, and I have no problem saying that. They're one in three. He had a terrible first three weeks. Okay. If he plays bad next week, I'm still going to say it. I'm still going to believe in Zach Wilson, and uh, I just think his, his talent level and his work ethic, when you combine the talent and the work ethic that Zach Wilson has, his hunger for football— do you hear the stories coming out of New York that Jets fans need to understand? Like, Zach Wilson is begging for more information. He loves football. He's talking to Robert Sala till like four in the morning about football because he just is so hungry for knowledge to learn the game, to become a better quarterback. I have no doubt Zach Wilson is so happy to not have college classes and any of the BS that comes to going to college. He's like... Hey, guess what I can do all day? My favorite thing. That's the kid you look out for. The kid who, Tom Brady, his favorite thing is football. Now you get Zach Wilson's talent level, and his favorite thing is going to work every day, getting up at 6 a.m., watching film, learning, developing. Like, Zach Wilson's dangerous, and you got to pay attention. I can't say, I'm, I'm going to pound the table for this kid. Zach Wilson He's the truth. Okay, Devin, uh, no, Devin Dagan. Dagan writes in, he says, as someone who has tried really hard to get into Formula One, but just could not, I've actually been grabbed by the Formula E. The more varied track environments, the more level playing field, and far more frequent passing along with the unique rules and mechanics the races use are really fun to watch. With the new season of Formula E having just started this past week, do you have, have you watched any? Do you have any opinions or thoughts on the differences between Formula E and F1? Dagan, where do you watch Formula E? I don't know that I can even watch that in America. Literally, like I'm not even, I'll, I'll look at, I'll do research because I, I, I ask that question without having done any research. Now, uh, people should know I went to college. I, bounced, I went to four different colleges. I had a crazy journey. I went to college, played college football. My brother died. I left. I went to, I, I worked on a movie in LA. I started a podcast. I worked for, uh, I, I played college football. I went to a different school. Like I, I did so many different things in college. My very first degree though, I didn't get a degree. Let's be clear. 
But the first degree I, I jumped in pursuit of was an environmental science major. I'm deeply passionate about the environment, and I live in Hawaii. I wear Hawaiian shirts. I'm I'm a I'm a hippie dude. Like let's be, let's be real. I am like a conservative hippie. Like I I am very conservative in some ways, and then in other ways I I'm like just let them smoke weed and like marry whoever they want. Like I I'm very I'm I'm a very I I have no doubt that politically you know actually here's the thing though politically most people probably are where I am. They pick and choose a couple good things on both sides, and they end up just whatever's important to them is how they live their life. That's how I live. I say all that to say that I, I really care about the environment, and Formula E is much more ethical than F1. It's better for the environment. It could be the future of racing. Now, the car sounds are not as cool. It's like, a, like it's a little whine. It's kind of boring. I'm like, I don't care about that. Uh, but it is more competitive. There's more passing. There's more, uh, frankly, more competition. You don't have Mercedes and Red Bull dominating every single race, and... I have my eye on Formula E. I'm waiting for the moment that Formula E, Formula like you know, electric. Clearly, I'm waiting for that to grab my attention. I feel better watching it because it's sustainable. It's it's you know whatever. Uh, I, I, is it though? I, that's another question. Are the batteries sustainable? Like there, I do have a question of ethics there too. Um, he, but for all that aside, the biggest problem Formula E really has is that. They don't have the drivers and the teams. They don't have Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes, Red Bull, Lando, Max Verstappen, Carlos Sainz, Charles Leclerc, Lewis Hamilton. Like, try starting another football league in America. They'll be like, hey, where, where are the Cowboys? Do you have Tom Brady? Do you have Dak Prescott? Do you have Patrick Mahomes? Oh, you don't? Eh, no one cares. So it's, it's not about, like, Daniel Ricciardo, star power. I love, I love Formula One for that reason. Even though I prefer, like, I feel more comfortable with the ethics of Formula E, star power and big names matter. And right now, Formula One has that. Formula E does not. If they can somehow develop that, the problem is, again, F1 is grandfathered in. The only way I think Formula E becomes really, really popular, because, like, let's say the entire world shifts to electric cars. You can still make an exception for, hey, like, we don't allow fighting on the street, but we allow UFC. Maybe like the one time we allow gas burning cars to operate is in Formula One. So the only way Formula E and electric cars become a real form of racing, in my opinion, is if you can somehow combine combine the brands of Mercedes, Ferrari, Formula One drivers, and just give them electric cars. Otherwise, it's not going to happen for a long time. Dagan, I love your name, and I, I, I really that'd be a cool name to name a child. Uh, maybe I'll name him after you, Dagan, for your Formula E question. <laughs> I've been thinking about kids a lot recently. I, I, I bought a book the other day, uh, Daddy Loves You 1, 2, 3, and it made me cry. And I'm like, it was the first time I realized, like, damn, I'd love to have kids. And, and I'm years away from that now, but I'm starting to see a world where I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a good dad someday, and I, I'm excited about that. Devin writes in, he says, hey, Zach, I just had a feedback on the Big Ben topic. I think it was a disservice to the Steelers to not even mention their offensive line in terms of the team's failure this year. Obviously, it's not all on them, but it felt like it was a little odd to not even mention them after being so vocal lately on how important offensive lines are to teams. I'm curious if that was a calculated omission from the Steelers segment. As always, I look forward to the next episode. Devin. Devin, thank you. Um, I didn't mean to leave it out, I guess. like cl Clearly, the offensive line needs work, uh, but, but I will say like the point was Big Ben. Ben Roethlisberger is the real problem 
with the Steelers' offense, whether it's communication, whether it's attention to detail, getting on the same page. The big one is he's holding out of the ball too long. And frankly, Big Ben is making the offensive line look worse than they are because he has not evolved his playing style. As he gets older, like, sure, early, early on in your career, run around. Josh Allen, when he's 40, will not be able to run around the way he can now. Cam Newton was a guy who did not evolve his game. As Cam Newton got older, he didn't get more precise. He didn't get more accurate. He didn't get more comfortable finding his check down. He didn't evolve his playing style. Big Ben is the same problem. Big Ben, as he got older, needs to find his check downs, needs to throw the ball away, needs to get rid of the ball, needs to get it out of his hands. And when I watch the Pittsburgh Steelers, yeah, the offensive line isn't great, but Big Ben is the guy. I played quarterback. When I see Big Ben go through his progression and then hold on to the ball, not throw to his check down, and take a sack or throw an interception, I go, that's not on the offensive line. Or, or, or Big Ben, you also have to understand protection. Like, it's, it's attention to detail. How many times does Big Ben go, they're blitzing off the side, off the edge. I got to just find my hot route immediately. But he doesn't. And I'm like, what? You're a Hall of Fame quarterback trying to run away from a blitz. Who, by the way, you're not the same athlete you once were. What are you doing? So, yeah, like, is the offensive line great in Pittsburgh? No, 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 no. But is Big Ben the real problem? Yeah, yeah, he is. Gay Davis writes in. He says, I like this question. Zach, have you thought about doing more of the redrafting stuff? I thought it was quite entertaining to watch. Thank you. By the way, I, I edited that redrafting the Giants video so hard. You know how many pictures are in that freaking video? Like that stinking video, that was like half my, that was like literally six to seven hours of editing to put in all the pictures and all the, like I tried to zoom in on stuff and have fun with it. Anyway, please, if you want to watch it again, watch it again and realize that every time you're seeing a change on screen, that was me making a tiny decision that I thought would be entertaining and funny. So David says, I thought it was quite entertaining to watch. There are a few teams that deserve an imaginative rebuild. Jets, Bears, and Lions are the best ones that come to mind. So I could do more. Um, I feel like the problem, part of my hesitation to do more redrafting the blank like content is that it's a fun series, by the way. It would be cool. Uh, and my my initial like thought is I should do the Denver Broncos because imagine if Denver had taken Josh Allen number five overall instead of Bradley Chubb in 2018. Remember, Denver passed on a quarterback, Josh Allen, because they had Case Keenum at quarterback. You couldn't have Case Keenum and draft Josh Allen. Start Case Keenum week one, let Josh Allen sit, wait, and develop and get better. I don't know why that didn't happen. Now, it worked out for the best. Josh Allen went to Buffalo, got a great coach, developed into what he is now. And, and maybe Josh Allen wouldn't be the same if he went to Denver, but... That's the, the one rebuild. I'm like, man, Denver's got a good roster, but they don't really have a great quarterback, and that would be that'd be super fun. Like that inflection point of the alternate reality that's fun to explore. Um, one problem I have with doing a bunch of series, like redrafting the blank is, and maybe, you ha maybe I have to pick an angle. Like what if this team drafted Lamar Jackson? What if this team drafted Josh Allen? What if this team built their offensive line? Rather, like Miami, for example, what if they built their offensive line? 
But I have to pick an angle. Otherwise, I'm just going to pick the same players every time. I'll be like, well, Elton Jenkins, Orlando Brown, <laughs> you know, Quinton Nelson. I'm just going to build every team's offensive line, and then we move on from there. So I, I want to avoid redundancy with that topic. And so I have to pick some kind of angle to make it interesting. Otherwise, I'm just going to do the same rebuild every time. And I don't think that would be fun to watch. Me saying, pick DK Metcalf, pick Elton Jenkins. You know, like, I don't want to have redundancy in that, that content. So... Uh, that's my thought process there. Dude, this has been a really, I think, very interesting Ask Zach segment. I think that this is a maybe an all-time great Ask Zach so far. Like, I think you guys hopefully have been entertained. I'm having fun with this. Uh, I really enjoy I'm telling you, like, you don't understand. Ask Zach is my favorite thing to make. Please follow me on Patreon, write in with more questions. I, I want to, this is, I love this kind of content. It's so fun to talk to you guys, hear your ideas, share my ideas, think of, you know, talk about my content. Like, ah, oh, it's a blast. Raphael writes in, he says, Hey Zach, feedback on your Bengals segment. I feel like you were giving too much credit to Jamar Chase for the Bengals success. He helps a lot, but I believe the Bengals are simply a much deeper and talented, more talented team than they have been for years. How many new starters do they have this year? On defense, four, five, six. It seems like they crushed the offseason, especially the free agents portion. Historically, they have been awful at that sneaky general manager of the year candidate over there. Love your content. Keep it coming. Raphael, I love that thought of the Bengals GM for GM of the year. Weirdly enough, they don't have a GM. Duke Tobin is their director of player personnel. No general manager there. At least no one with the, the title general manager. He's effectively the guy on payroll that operates as the general manager. Um, and maybe that's an award I should give out, the GM of the year award at the end of the year. That would be kind of fun. They drafted so well. Jamar Chase, Cam Sample, a stud D end. Uh, they brought in Trey Hendrickson in free agency. They did the BJ Hill trade. They built their offensive line. I love almost every made Cincinnati made during the offseason. They paid off. Their team is way better. And then Joe Burrow. <sighs> Oh, man, there, I, there's a video on YouTube. It's called uh, Joe Burrow Miked Up Against the Jaguars from Thursday Night Football last week. Go watch it. Oh, my goodness. Confidence, swagger. Like, even the way he introduces himself to the ref is like, hey, my name is Joe. What's your name? I didn't want to call you Mr. Ref all day. Like, he is cool as a cucumber. I love Joe Burrow. He's... He, don't play zero against me. Like he has, he'll beat you. Do not play cover zero. You blitz him. He'll find a great matchup and beat you. I, I love Joe Burrow. He's, he reminds me so much of Tom Brady. Like the, we're seeing all these great young quarterbacks in the NFL, but Joe Burrow is so well prepared. He's got swagger. He can move. He's got a great arm. I, I am, he might be, I should get a Joe Burrow Jersey. Like I really think that Joe Burrow might be my favorite young quarterback in the NFL. It's, I feel like I say that about every quarterback. I love watching quarterback play. I love watching these young guys develop and turn into stars. But ah, the joy I feel when I watch Joe Burrow not only play quarterback, but like talk and share his personality. Who he is as a quarterback is so entertaining and moving. And I just like, man, uh, go watch that video. Joe Burrow mic'd up against the Jaguars. You'll be like, dude, this guy has got it. He's awesome. Okay, Marcus writes in. He says... Hey, Zach, super big fan of the show. Respect the grind and love seeing you work this hard for this show. Last week, you replied to my DM with a picture of you and Gunnar Talkington. Gunnar Talkington is the backup quarterback at Eastern Washington. If anybody doesn't know, uh, he played in their national 
championship appearance. Super interesting to see him call the plays to Eric Berrier. Wondering if you're going to cover Eastern Washington versus Montana. Uh, it's a rare game where an FCS school is on TV. With it being a former school you went to along with how the game went uh, with Eastern winning in dramatic fashion and storming the field. Would love to hear you talk about it on your show and as uh, the first time tons of people saw the red turf. Uh, anyway, he says, thank you for all the hard work on the show. I love the grind. You genuinely have my dream job, and I am at Eastern Washington pursuing a journalism and communication degree with dreams of being a broadcaster. Uh, Marcus, I did not watch the Eastern Washington-Montana game, um, but I will say uh, Eastern is a special place to me. I actually didn't go to school there. I went to Washington State, which is... What, what, like an hour away, 45 minutes, something like 45 minutes. If you're driving really fast in the summer, you can get from Pullman, Washington to Cheney, Washington, uh, the two college towns. I had a lot of friends there. I went to a lot of football games for Eastern Washington. I worked at some of their football games. I worked for ESPN at those games. Um, fun fact. So first of all, I like, dude, it's so cool. You're at Eastern. I, you're, you're saving money. It's beautiful there. It's cool. Enjoy Every moment of it. I used to be you pursuing a communication degree. I found this career. I dropped out. I'm, I'm, I don't feel like it. You, I, I, anyway, that's a whole conversation for another time. Um, fun fact, though, you might want to know, Marcus, is that, and by the way, Marcus, I encourage you, start making stuff. Don't start make whatever it is, whatever your career you want it to be, start making it now. Uh, fun fact, you might know, Colin Cowherd went to Eastern Washington. Kind of a weird factoid. Uh, I respect Colin's work ethic. Dude works really hard. Kind of a dream of mine, unspoken, is it would be so fun to get dinner with Colin Cowherd, like to talk. I just think it'd be like, I have no doubt he would be like a great person to hang out with. I just think interesting, nerdy, very introverted. I have no doubt. Um, I think that would be, I, I grew up listening to him as a kid and he's got some shortcomings, uh, but I, like there's no doubt as I speak right now, Collins at home working to prepare his next episode. Like you, you, you can't be a broadcaster. The couple guys I, I really admire, Jim Rome. I don't like Jim Rome. I hate his content. Actually, I think he's boring and not interesting. But you can tell Jim Rome prepares really, really hard. And then Colin Cowherd is another guy that you can tell that dude is prepared. another guy. Pat McAfee is awesome. I actually talked. To, I DM'd to Pat McAfee the other day on Instagram. That mother effer is so cool. Like Pat McAfee, he brings my, the way that Pat McAfee inspires me, his energy, like he brings the energy every single day. It's so like you, you can't watch Pat McAfee and not go, man, like you want to jump through a brick wall. I, I don't know how you don't, I, I don't know. I just, those are three people. Uh, I, I probably, Pat McAfee's my favorite dude of the guys I mentioned. I respect Colin. I think dinner with Colin would be like, he would get a martini. It would be fun. I love the guy. I read his books. Jim Rome. I don't listen to his content. I don't like his content, but I do. If you listen to his content, you can hear that he really clearly does prepare very, very hard. And I don't know how I got there, but uh, I guess I just wanted to shout out Pat McAfee. That dude, I love Pat. I really, um, Pat's awesome. Uh, anyway, uh, Oscar writes in, he says, Hey Zach, I have enjoyed listening to your show for about a year, but I have just started listening to it regularly. I enjoyed your last extra long episode so much. I decided to get a Patreon just for you. Oscar, thank you, man. Welcome. Uh, is this your first question? That's very cool. Oscar, uh, he says, I'm a Cardinals fan and somewhat of a pessimist. Well, you better be because, man, uh, otherwise you're going to kill me because I just 
really, I, I just crapped all over the dreams of Cardinals fans. Uh, the Cardinals beat the Rams 37-20, to but I still don't feel confident. I don't completely trust Cliff, and the penalties are still there. Do you realistically think the Cards have a chance to go far this year? Do you think many... Do you think, like many others, that the Rams just played poorly, or did Arizona deserve to win? Bonus question, have you thought about bringing guests like into the show like Brett Coleman? By the way, I admire your work ethic and hope you can get to argue with Stephen A. Smith. Wish you all the best. Funny thought, you know, I just talked to Brett on the phone today for like 20 minutes. I love that guy. Um, true, like literally true story. I, I really, I don't know when I'll ever have the show, uh, Brett back on the show. We're both like crazy busy, but I, that, that dude is ride or die. I love Brett Coleman. Um, First of all, again, Oscar, thanks for joining the Patreon. Uh, I feel kind of bad. Like, you know, I I talked about the, the Cardinals last episode, and there's like a little moment I didn't give them, which is I never said, by the way, I was wrong about the game. Like, I, I, I think I, 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 in analyzing the game, the one little bit of thing I forgot to give them was the satisfaction of hearing me say, oh, yeah, I was wrong about how I predicted that game to go. I apologize for that. Um, it's a long year. Can Arizona avoid injuries? So far, nobody has the answer to stop their offense. I'm excited. Like Kyler Murray's ability to extend plays is a nightmare. Nobody can stop him. Nobody can guard him. It, it's a, it's a good luck. Kyler Murray is becoming Russell Wilson. I don't know how you like, he's a guy. If he plays the way he does for the rest of his career, Kyler Murray will be a hall of fame quarterback. We remember very, very fondly. And defenses do not uh, Kyler's better than Lamar Jackson like by a lot in my opinion people don't often like Lamar is way more um like compelling as a star his interviews are great he's more loud Kyler's quiet he's in Arizona not on the east coast on the west coast but Kyler Murray's a dude that deserves way more credit and I'm excited to see where like the next three of the next four games for Arizona are pretty tough but I'm really excited to see where after week eight, where is Arizona? How good are they? We'll, we'll learn a lot about Arizona in the next couple weeks, and uh, then, then maybe I'll give them the praise that Cardinals fans really, really desperately want. Okay, uh, Marcus writes in. He says, hey, Zach, uh, college football question. Is it over for Boise State? As a fan, since I can remember watching college football, yes, it was because of the Bluefield. <laughs> Boise State has always been the little engine that everyone knew could. Boise made a name for themselves by beating major teams like Oklahoma with the AP, uh, Virginia Tech, Georgia, most uh, many Pac-12 schools regularly, probably uh, most notably being 3-0 versus Oregon. Uh, so Boise State, what he's saying is he used to beat up on Pac-12 schools. Over the past few years, it's been disappointing. It's been, can I, can I, let, me, let me restart that. Over the past few years, it's been disappointing after, okay, so I'm not wrong. He says, he says disappointing after disappointment. What he means is, over the past few years, it's been, gotta, I'm trying to get the engine going, it's been disappointment after disappointment. There we go. Hey, got it. <laughs> I'm having fun. I love my job. Losing to teams we should not. That's a disappointment. Bad, predictable play calling, and the program is starting to look like it's going downhill. Then we lost Brian Harson to Auburn, and silly me, Really wanted Gus Malzahn, ironically Auburn's old head coach, but when Boise loves hiring... Gosh, I, I'm doing so bad here. And maybe I should have proofread this too. Then we lost Brian Harson to Auburn. Silly me wanted to hire Gus Malzahn, ironically Auburn's old head coach, but Boise loves hiring 
former coaches and players who know the, quote, culture, but clearly it's just wanting more of the same. If you win enough games to keep your job, then we got embarrassed by Central Florida, Gus Malzahn's new team. Yes, I count that as an embarrassment because they were completely outcoached. We were completely outcoached, and they got outcoached by Oklahoma State and Nevada. Okay. Last little – this has been a tough one to read because of I, – I, I don't know. Maybe I should have proofread it. I don't know. Andy Avalos isn't the guy to lead this team. Even his coordinators are doing poorly, in my opinion. I'm afraid we've lost our luster and are fading into obscurity. Could be an overreaction. I hope I didn't trash your writing too much, Marcus, because that is a well-thought-out write-in. So thank you. I appreciate it. Unfortunately, the beginning of the end started when Chris Peterson left. Remember uh, – Chris Peter and he was talking. Now that I think about it, he, in the write-in, he said AP. He meant Boise State beat Oklahoma, who had Adrian Peterson. Now Chris Peterson, the coach of Boise State, when he left to Washington, that was the beginning of the end. That was Boise State taking a step backward, uh, because for the longest time, it felt like Chris Peterson was never gonna leave, was never gonna take a bigger job, because it felt like Chris Peterson believed he had arrived. He was happy with Boise State. And whatever happened there, I'd love to interview him. Whatever happened to make him unhappy and, and leave Boise to go to Washington, that was the end of Boise State's relevance. Because when Brian Harson was hired by Boise State, he clearly viewed it as a stepping stone. And every coach from here on out at Boise State is going to view Boise State as a stepping stone. They're not going to get sentimental and stay. They want more money. They want better recruiting options. So... Boise State, is. I've been there. It's a cool place. I've seen the field. But they do not have any national relevance anymore. It's sad, but it's true. And that's the problem with Boise State is that they're viewed as a stepping stone because they are. And they got a unique coach, Chris Peterson, who decided to stay a lot longer than most people would. That is why they had a brief run in the national spotlight. They're not going to reclaim that again unless they get a coach who's just selfless and says, I'll, I'll take less money, have a harder time recruiting to stay here, which is not going to happen again. Let me drink some water real quick. Allie writes in, I have a thought, Zach, and I also thought you might like to provide some insight into your thoughts about it. Sports bring us together. There are games that many on the outside don't think have that purpose. Some see them exactly as that, just a game. But these are more than games. Sports give us a place in society where nothing else matters except who you are rooting for. Politics doesn't matter. Class doesn't matter. Religion, age, race. That all seems to be forgotten when we watch sports. In a sense, we are all one. I worry that in the future, sports will become highly politicized and we will lose what is so important to all of us. Spaces in society where we can leave these controversies behind to the side and be friends for a day. Thoughts. Allie! Welcome back. Love that question. Um, here's how I, I know I can respond. With sports and politics, I try to operate with as much respect and compassion as humanly possible. I watch sports to escape from, uh, like, the sadness of our country. Like, uh, let's – anyone notice what's going on financially with our government? I'd just rather watch football. I'd rather just watch Georgia football against Auburn and pretend that I don't know what's going on at all with our country. So, yeah, I, I watch sports to get away. It's an escape for me. 
Same with video games, same with movies. Uh, I live mostly in an escape reality because uh, I don't really like where a lot of the world's going, frankly. Uh, so I, I hope that Strong Opinion Sports can be a place where other people can come and avoid politics. Certainly, like, I talk about little things. I had a great environmental uh, topic about Big Ben, but I, I think I actually covered that in a way that was very, like, nonpartisan. Just like, yeah, here it is a reality, and that's, there you go. It's a human story. Um, so while on one hand I do not want to lean into politics, I avoid it at all costs. I, I try to make sure my show doesn't go there because I never – I want people to listen to my show and be like – Oh, thank God. It's a break from all that nonsense. You can be entertained and have a good time and not feel the burden of our, our, our entire society having problems. At the same time, though, I respect athletes who want to use their platform to spread a message because, like, I use Strong Opinion Sports to send messages all the time. I talk about marriage. I talk about raising kids. I talk about healthy relationships. I always try to mix in a life lesson or two. It's not like I don't have any message at all behind strong opinion sports. I just avoid politics. But again, I, I use my platform the way I like to, and I, I have the freedom to do that. And everyone can use their platform however they want and to their risk or benefit. You know, uh, an athlete with a million followers, maybe they cultivated an audience because the audience wants to hear them talk about politics. I know my audience doesn't want to hear that from me, right? And so um, I like I, I just kind of let people be themselves. I, if you want to talk about politics, great for you. I don't want to do that. Um, but remember, athletes are human beings as well. And often people treat athletes like they're just objects of entertainment. That is horrible and inhumane. So if, if LeBron wants to talk about whatever he wants to talk about, that's his prerogative and if you want to, I, the, if you don't like that, then don't follow LeBron James, right? That's that's how. You, if you don't like the messages you're hearing from your shows you're listening to, or the Instagram accounts you're following, or the articles you're reading, don't listen to them. It's that simple, right? And, and if if LeBron loses finances for talking about politics, then maybe he'll change and not talk about politics. That's that's my whole thing. Like, do whatever you want. It's a free market. Let people decide, and the audience will decide for you if they like what you're putting out to the world or not. Um, I avoid politics on my show as much as I can. That will always be the case. If I ever I, – I, I just don't – like if I ever do another show, I'm going to talk about movies. That's what I'm working on behind the scenes. It's really hard because I'm really busy with this show. To do another show, it's impossible. Um, but, yeah, you'll never really see me, I promise you, ever talk about politics on this show. And if I do, it's an accident, literally. Uh, I, I, I avoid it as much as humanly possible. Why do you think I pretend like Deshaun Watson doesn't exist? It's awful. I don't want to talk about Deshaun Watson. I don't want to talk about it. It's awful. It's discouraging. It's, uh, there's nothing I can say that adds anything valuable. All I can say is, that's terrible. That's not entertaining or interesting. So, um, look, I don't, want, I don't look down on athletes for sharing their perspectives uh, because you got to recognize that athletes who share political statements, take a knee, whatever they do, they're trying to make a difference in the best way they know how. And you, you got to have compassion for that. But just know that if you listen to my show, nah, we're a sports show. Respectfully decline. We're not a politics show. Not going to get into it. Not, don't want to do that. That doesn't interest me. And 
also that's not what people want when they watch sports. I'm well aware of that. So um, I hope that honestly, honestly, I hope I say all that and people respect that. I hope people um, that was very I feel like, man, I I try so hard to be vulnerable and honest on this show. I have nothing to hide. um, And I just uh, that's how I feel. Okay, Menko writes in. By the way, we got a healthy segment about Urban Meyer coming up. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven questions about Urban Meyer after this next one, which is from Menko. Menko writes in. He says, thoughts on the new John Bellion song? So John Bellion, my favorite musician. I, I want to make a, like a literally a, an hour and a half documentary about John Bellion. I'm so daunted by that thought. Like my idea is so big. And I need to start, and I need to just do it one doable step at a time. But probably won't start that till February. Anyway, John Bellion put out a new song called I Feel It. It's featuring Burna Boy, guy I've never heard of. The song grew on me, though. Uh, it reminds me of Adult Swim from his other album, Glory Sound Prep. It was like, eh. At first I heard, I feel it. And I didn't care at all. And then uh, I was swimming one day, and like, Dun, 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 and then, like the guitar, and I feel it. And then, like, I just heard it in my head. And I'm like, I'm like, dun, 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 like the trumpet or whatever that the the orchestra sound is. I'm looking at Diamond Head in Hawaii, and I hear just I feel it. And I'm like, okay, I I, I understand the song now. And so uh, it snuck up on me. It came to me much faster. Like I, I like every song John Billion does eventually, with um, Adult Swim. I had to listen to that like for two months in a row before I really was like, okay, I get it. I like it. I understand it. it took me a while. And, and I still don't really go out of my way to listen to Adult Swim. I just don't. The, what happens is if it plays, I don't skip it. I'm never going to be like, I can't wait to hear Adult Swim. But I do like sometimes, especially like when you're uh, having a good time at night, that song is fun to listen to. Uh, but John Bellion's new song, I Feel It, it was a bit disappointing at first because there's no real lyrical there's nothing moving about the lyrics. There's no big message there. It's just a catchy tune. But sometimes that's all you need. And and I think that kind of is a weird subliminal message within the song is it's clearly just about a fun, catchy beat. Look it up. Look up John Bellion. I feel it. Uh, decide for yourself. And let me know if, like, maybe you listen to it one time. And you're like, I don't care. But then maybe you have my experience where a week later you're doing something else and it pops into your head and you're like, oh, I get it now. So anyway, let's talk about Urban Meyer. I posted on Patreon a thread sharing that I said literally, I think this Urban Meyer situation is crazy. I can't stop thinking about it. And I got some really interesting responses. Number one, Christopher writes in, he says, I hope he remains a head coach for the sake of my entertainment. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, did you see that Urban Meyer in the bar where he cheated on his wife on the wall And not a little picture. There's a big picture blown up of Urban Meyer and his wife. And he's at a bar with another lady dancing on him, looking at a picture of him and his wife. What? He had to be drunk. There's no way he was sober for that moment. I just... Bad decision. I, 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 my conspiracy, I don't don't need to share it. We don't need to talk about that anymore. But yeah, Urban Meyer highly entertaining this entire situation i wonder like that's got to be like i I don't know well let's read the next question jacob says i'm honestly confused on why he thought that he could roll up in the nfl with a bad team 
and just start winning every game. Then when he makes progress, he throws it all away with his actions after just the game. Just after the, after the game. He says, it just doesn't make sense. Maybe he's cocky or something. So what we saw in this moment from Urban Meyer is how he handles losing. He went to wallow. I, I, is Urban Meyer depressed? Like, is the losing getting to, uh, Urban Meyer's never lost like this in his career. And Trevor Lawrence, handling it just fine. His coach, nah. His coach does not like losing. And I, it's not good when you lose a game and you go isolate and you abandon your guys after a loss. Like, remember, he's supposed to be the leader of this football team. He abandoned them after the loss. He let them fly home and he went his own separate way. That's weird. That is not how you respond. You don't respond to losing by going on a bender. If you have a loss, and whether it's in sports, in life, any kind of setback, here's a lesson for you. You make an adjustment, and you make a correction. You analyze. Maybe you need a moment to, definitely, after any kind of loss, you need to grieve it. Have a moment where you feel sad, you embrace the loss, you deal with it, you process it. What Urban Meyer should have done home after losing, should, should have done after losing to Cincinnati is he should have gone home to his wife, had a good book, cuddled up next to her, and sought comfort from his best friend and the person who supports him most in this world. Like, instead of going out on a bender finding some random chick, hey, go home to your wife, who's been with you every step of the way, who probably is not an idiot, probably has some wisdom, go hang out with her. Like, that's, it's a sign of so much dysfunction there. And uh, I certainly, it's kind of crazy how much I'm learning by watching Urban Meyer. Like, Urban Meyer has no idea how thankful I am for him because he's making me a better future husband. I look at all the mistakes he's making, and I, 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 I've told you guys, I cheated on someone once, right? Like, I'm not good. I, I have been a scumbag before. Not proud of it. But I'm watching Urban Meyer. I'm analyzing his actions and going, oh, Here's what you do instead, and it's making me better. So in a weird way, maybe the only benefit from all of this is that Mizak Shomler is getting better from Urban Meyer's idiocy. And not as like a, a sports broadcaster. I'm not getting better in content. I mean, I am. I'm making money from this. It's kind of great. However, it's also making me like literally going to be a better husband. I'm a better fiance today than I was a week ago before the Urban Meyer stuff went down because I'm learning lessons and taking notes. And any the best advice I can give anyone Instead of learning lessons yourself, try to learn lessons from other people. Look at other people making mistakes. That's why sometimes it's the best way to play quarterback is to have your backup play for a series or two or maybe a game. Like I think Dak Prescott got better, truly, by watching Andy Dalton run the Cowboys offense because he saw what not to do, and it gave him thoughts and ideas and notes and made him a better quarterback. I feel exactly the same way as a husband watching Urban Meyer. I'm seeing exactly what not to do. So, we, weird tangent there. Nick says, is he trying to speed run the NFL? <laughs> it seems like it. Yeah, it's kind of true. Like, he's like, hey, four games in, bam, we're done. I, I don't know. Like, I, love, I love that way. Is he trying to speed run the NFL? It's a funny way to put that. Uh, I wonder, how long is Urban Meyer going to last? Are they going to fire him? They pay him a ton of money. So, why did Urban Meyer even take this job, first of all? And then did anybody see that video of him like broadcasting somewhere? And 
it's kind of just funny. It's not even like I am not against drugs. And some guy walks in in the mirror behind Urban Meyer's talking on camera the same way I am, except instead of a strong opinion sports logo behind him, it's a mirror. And someone clearly walks up with a bong in the mirror. And I'm like, how did I not know this clip existed? What is going? And he's like, get. he like he like he mouths very quietly to camera. Like, get. He like he doesn't say get out, but he mouths the words get out of here. Like points the guy away because he's like, I'm I'm working, bro. What are you doing? And by the way, never have a camera and never have a mirror behind you on camera. All you're doing is asking for problems. Like let's be clear about that. Uh, and I got I get no problem if a retired Urban Meyer wants to light up a joint occasionally. Dude, go for it. But you can't be the NFL head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars and do all the dumb stuff you're doing. I think Urban Meyer's going to have to retire. I really do. I think he's going to have to just hey, take all the money, walk away, buy an island in the Caribbean, and shut the hell up for years. Okay, Logan writes in. He says, Logan uh, is a really big Gator fan and a really big Jaguars fan. Logan, I love you. I already feel bad for you. Logan says, just pure disappointment in him and our organization. Being a Florida fan, I was skeptical about him to begin with because I do not like him as a person, and I wasn't down with the college coach in the NFL thing. But I was a little hopeful anyways. Now we've seen the coaching doesn't work, and his status as not my favorite human has progressed even further. Jacksonville has had a long line of misses, whether it's coach, GM, or players. This year's coaching vacancy was an opportunity at a window of time we could not miss on. Unfortunately, we missed horrendously. I've just about given up hope on the team unless we go get a real NFL coach. Logan, you are where I was at one point when I became not a Seattle Mariners fan. Look, it comes full circle with the entire rest of the podcast. Bam, look at that. That's why I don't have a favorite team. All you're doing is asking for pain, in my opinion. Unless you're a team of like the Patriots for the last 20 years, at some point your team is going to hurt you, and I don't want to deal with that. So, um, Logan, I feel bad for Jaguars fans. Um, I, you know, Jaguars fans have been burned so many times. And I, I honestly kind of wish, like, you know, this is a dream of dream of dreams. I am certainly never going to have any kind of hand in operating the Jacksonville Jaguars. But do you know how much I would give to get in the room with Shad Khan, the Jaguars owner, and say, hey, here's my philosophy. But can we talk? Can I, can I have some kind of involvement? Because I'd kill to work with him. And the Jaguars have an amazing opportunity here. They have Trevor Lawrence, like the gem of young NFL quarterbacks. They're going to get a new head coach pretty easily. And I, I don't know. I, I see. I wish that the Jaguars were more like the Carolina Panthers. I mean, the Panthers and Jaguars both have a lot of young talent. The difference is one is very well managed with ownership and GM and coach and offensive coordinator. The Jaguars are a train wreck where Carolina and the management side of things is very, very well run. It's just a shame how much, you know, how, how many good people the Jaguars have had and totally like botched it. So I don't know. I don't know, man. It's weird. It's a weird thought. Joshua writes in, he says, I'm surprised how quickly he's messing up. A lot of people say that it's because of his college mentality. So here's my question. Is it weird for a college coach to not fly back or drive back with the team, especially after a loss? Yeah, it is super weird. I've never, I followed the NFL my whole life. I've been always a nerdy super fan. I played quarterback. I love football. Never once heard of a coach not going home without the team. That's, that doesn't, that's, 
weird. Like that's very, in fact, I, I, sometimes a coach will have a family member die and still goes home with the team. That's context on how bad Urban Meyer looks here. We'll get into the travel in a moment. I got to say, like, this is going to put a, a really big stain on any other college coach who's thinking of going to the NFL. How long is it going to be now until we see a guy go from college to the NFL again? Because Urban Meyer was one of the most high-profile, well-known, most successful college coaches in that college world. He has failed horribly. I mean, he failed at the end of college, too, but it's so different. Like The college game, you are king of the castle. You answer to no one. You run your town and your program and your state. Often, a college head coach is the highest paid person in the entire state, like at least from the you know, paid by the state government. They are like massive political figures that can have scandal. Like, think of how many more scandals you hear about in college football than in the NFL. It's unbelievable. Hookers, drugs, money, recruiting violations. It's ridiculous. And in the NFL, none of that. None of that happens. One time you had Jay Gruden smoking a blunt. That's it. That Literally, that's it. So the college world is very different, and it's going to be really hard for any coach to go from college to the NFL ever again now because of Urban Meyer. You're ruined. It could have been a good thing. And by the way, teams do not even let the players travel separately. So after a long weekend, you play on Thursday night football. Guys often do go somewhere. Like Friday night, you go out of town with your wife for the night. You, you get a, a nice secluded place. You try to wind down because you got a long season ahead. That often happens is that on after a Thursday night game, a guy takes a day off, goes somewhere else. But they always make you fly home with the team, and it's weird for... All of the Jaguars players had to fly home with the team, and their leader, their coach, didn't. The rules are suddenly different for Urban Meyer. Nah, that ain't going to fly. And the college mentality of Urban Meyer is killing him. It's kicking his butt, man. It doesn't. The king of the castle thing, it doesn't work in the NFL because players have money and agency, and they're more power, they're more aware you can manipulate a college kid way more easily than a 33-year-old millionaire NFL football player. Let's just be honest. So, look, um, a, lot of the, a lot of what we're seeing Urban Meyer fail in is kind of the— we're seeing the, the unfortunate, disgusting reality of college football, which is how manipulative and powerful college football coaches are. And thankfully, that doesn't fly in the NFL, which makes me feel— Really, really good and really, really happy. Okay, Troy writes in. He says, as a USC fan, I saw the chatter around going and getting Urban Meyer as being like taking a deal with the devil. We get high-quality football back for a few years, but then Urban will retire and we'll have a 50-50 shot at catching sanctions or something one of his assistants did. Now, there's not even a positive side to it. I want him far away from the USC football program. I don't care how dire things get this year. I don't want that clown on our sideline next fall. Troy, I agree. He's trouble. Stay away. I wouldn't want Urban Meyer. USC does not need the circus. I don't have anything to add. Troy, great thought there. Evan says, final one. Let me drink some water real quick. Evan says, hey, Zach, I never thought that Urban Meyer would work out in the NFL. But I did not think it would turn fast, turn south so fast. We've been hearing things for weeks about players and staff being dissatisfied with Urban. 
But I think that this latest incident will push things over the edge. Uh, players get released from teams all the time for being a distraction. So Urban Meyer should not be an exception. If I am Jacksonville, I replace Urban immediately. The goal for Jacksonville should be to get the first pick next year's draft anyway. So the chaos that would come from firing him should be okay. My question is, should the GM be held responsible for how disastrous Urban Meyer has been? I definitely think so, but I have never liked Urban Meyer, so I may be biased. Yeah, Urban Meyer comes across as very fake. I was talking to, on Twitter, uh, Marcus, the franchise guy, talked about how, is, is Urban Meyer like the worst head coaching hire ever? And I'm like, well, think about this with context. I feel kind of bad for Jamarcus Russell. Jamarcus Russell was a number one overall pick by the Oakland Raiders at the time, now the Vegas Raiders. And you can chalk up his failure to immaturity and being a young guy who got rich for the first time. That's a story I feel empathy for and I feel sad for. Jamarcus Russell, Vince Young, that's a sad story. There's many quarterbacks like that. There's many football players who fail. Any, any athlete, any athlete who's like 18, 19, anywhere from 19 to 24 when they got paid a ton of money and got put in the spotlight, I just feel kind of bad for that because it, you failed because you didn't have enough maturity. Urban Meyer failed because he's fake and disingenuous and inauthentic and needs to deal with his personal problems. There's no, like, sad story there. It's just a rich dude being crappy. That's awful. So uh, the problem here is I think the owner, Shad Khan, is responsible for hiring Urban Meyer. I think he let his fandom get ahead of his analysis, and he's got the money, so he makes the payment. And nobody's going to get held accountable because it was Shad Khan's pick. Uh, I just hope they get someone good next year. Again, they have, they have Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence should be attractive to a top coach. I talked about uh, earlier in the episode about how Urban Meyer, and I can't, I, I, for some reason, like I, I'm, I'm like a moth to flame. This Urban Meyer story has been all-consuming all my thoughts recently. It's so fascinating. I talk about Urban Meyer has no credibility now. He can't recruit. Uh, his players are laughing at him. Here's the, the lesson from Urban Meyer, like another, another one of many lessons from Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer needs to own it. He should have had a team meeting on Monday, played the video. You know how ballsy that would be? Play this stupid, embarrassing video. The worst thing you can do is hide your secret. If you have a secret and you get caught, open it up. Let him read the emails. There's a great TV show called Mayor of Easttown. M-A-R-E of East Town. It's on, I think it's on HBO Max. I watched it. Effing brilliant show. I could not recommend it enough. It's about how dangerous it is to hide secrets. The best thing Urban Meyer can do is walk in we, you know, Monday morning after that incident and say, boop, here it is on screen. Watch what I did. Say, I screwed up. I'm embarrassed at this moment. I, I hate to, and just own it. Share with people. It's radical thinking, but radical thinking is what it takes to be successful in this world and overcome crazy things like that. You can't run from your mistakes. You have to own them. And I, let me tell you, if I ever have a major controversy, I'm ready for that moment. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I will, what I will do is analyze what I did humbly and try to see, did, was I wrong? What are people saying about me? Are their critiques valid? And just address it. Lean into it head on. If you do that way, you're actually kind of, if you're, if you're like a good human being who means well and is willing to change when you're, you know, when, when the thing about you that sucks is brought up, then you have nothing to be afraid of, really. Like I, I, have, I actually have a piece in my heart 
that if people ever come after me, I'll just I'll just listen and lean into it and acknowledge what I might have been short. I don't know. I can't prepare what that moment might be. I don't know what I might be that's crappy about me. But I'm prepared for that because I know I'm a flawed human. I'm not perfect. And if you know that you're not perfect and you own that, uh, you're free. Like you, you just, I, I literally have a podcast with my fiance called Flawed Humans. And by the way, on that podcast, once upon a time, I got called racist for how I covered Dwayne Haskins. And instead of running from it or avoiding it or deleting comments, I just, I, I talked about it. I owned it. I was like, hey, was I racist? Let's talk about it. My fiance and I broke it down. And if you have controversy or, or make a mistake, own it, talk about it, don't run from it. That goes whether you're a college coach, a math teacher, a truck driver, it doesn't matter. You're going to have all kinds of interpersonal relationships. And that maybe it's intrapersonal. I don't remember the, 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 the proper vocab there. But I cannot encourage you enough. If you make a mistake, do not run from it. Own it. And that's the only way you're going to survive. If you run from your mistake and try to hide it and pretend it's something it's not, you're screwed. It's over. You, you, can't, you cannot survive that. What you might survive is being honest, being authentic, admitting your problem, owning the mistake. Here's the thing. So final thing. If Urban Meyer ever tries to correct a player ever again, he has no credibility. Well, let's say they go into their bye week and he's like, hey, guys, remember, don't screw around during your bye week. They just laugh at him because you can't give that advice if you're Urban Meyer now. You know what he could do, though? When's the Jaguars bye week? Let's imagine it's week eight. I don't know when it really is. But let's pretend the Jaguars bye week is week eight. So before week eight happens, you have a meeting with your team and say, hey, look at this. And Urban Meyer, literally, let's imagine he plays a video of him grabbing a woman's behind in a bar that's not his wife. And he's like, see this idiot up here? That's me. Don't be me. I caused us problems. I'm stupid. Please don't make a mistake like I did. Learn from my mistake. Then Urban Meyer, you know what he would, people would go, huh. Well, you're an idiot, but I respect it. I respect the extreme ownership of your mistake. Urban Meyer tried to pretend like that lady was someone he didn't know, some random person. Okay. Okay. Whatever. Lost all credibility. He didn't own it. And he tried to downplay it, tried to hide it, tried to cover it up as much as he could. No, unfortunately. And maybe it is fortunate, actually, because when you get caught red-handed, it's actually better to just be like, yeah, here's what happened. Let's, let's do, do the best we can move forward. It's happened to me before. And it, it's, it's really better to address it, to own it, to not hide anything and address that head on than try to hide anything. Because, man, I've talked for a long time about Urban Meyer, but do not try to hide your secrets. If you, if you have them and you get called out and you get caught, it's better to address it head on and try to grow from it and, and show and, and not just show personal growth, but really grow as a human being from it. Then you'll gain respect rather than hatred. So um, anyway, I've talked for way too long. I love you guys. I appreciate you. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will talk about college football week six coming up. We will preview the Seattle Seahawks and Rams football game uh, on Thursday Night Football. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Let's now talk about college football. 
This weekend, there are four games that I believe should be on your radar for college football week six. Game number one, Saturday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time, the Red River Rivalry. Oh, I cannot wait. I did my, that's, that's like the, the closest I can do to Gus Johnson. That's a really terrible impression, by the way. Do you hear what I just did? Awful. Red River Rivalry, I would assume that Fox Sports and Gus Johnson are broadcasting that. By the way, Gus Johnson, he does like college football on Saturday, then NFL football on Sunday. He's, an, he's a monster. I'm hoping he's going to be broadcasting that game. Number six, Oklahoma at number 21, Texas. It's always fun every year. Every year I watch this game, something crazy seems to happen. It's always surprising. It's always exciting. The fans are really into it. This year, Oklahoma... It's just barely undefeated. They beat Tulane by five. They barely beat Nebraska by six. West Virginia, they won by a field goal. Last week, they beat K-State only by six points. So they are undefeated, yes, but they are barely undefeated this year. They're 5-0. and uh, It's a shaky 5-0. and Texas is 4-1. and Their only loss, Texas, was to a good Arkansas football team. Man, this could be, I think, and, and hopefully is a really, really outstanding game. I haven't watched Texas play all year this year, so I'm curious to watch their quarterback situation, uh, their new head coach. I just, I'm, I'm really interested to watch Texas. I, I kind of find myself rooting for chaos. I want to see Texas win this game, and uh, that would be, no offense to Oklahoma, but I, I love watching upsets, and that would be pretty cool to see a shaky 5-0 and Oklahoma team. Now, the thing is, Oklahoma's quarterback, Spencer Rattler, Woo, he's crazy talented. He is so fun to watch. Uh, and if you are looking for a reason to watch this game, other than, hey, the Red River rivalry game is incredible. It's always fun. Spencer Rattler is a, a NFL talent who has been up and down this year, had some uneven play. He's always fun. He's explosive. He's got a crazy good arm. So the Red River rivalry game, Oklahoma, Texas, going to be really, really fun this weekend. Game number two, number 13, Arkansas at number 17, Ole Miss. I was kind of surprised that Ole Miss is ranked lower than Arkansas. Both teams got their first loss last week. Both teams are pretty good. Ole Miss lost to Alabama. Arkansas got throttled by Georgia, 37 to nothing. I would think that losing to Georgia, 37 to nothing, would rank you lower than Ole Miss, although I just, I don't know anything in college football as far as, it, it, the rankings often are very confusing, and I'm like, oh, that, that doesn't add up, and uh, you know, Ole Miss did, or Arkansas did have a big win a couple weeks ago. Anyway, in my opinion, Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, Matt Corral, they should be the favorite. They have this dynamic quarterback, Matt Corral. He's fun to watch. Either way, I'm hoping, crossing my fingers, hoping for a good game. I expect a good game. I love SEC football. Like, where I come from in, in the Pacific Northwest, everyone's like, oh, the SEC, they think they run stuff. They think, yeah, they do. Sorry. Oregon fans, sorry, Washington State fans, you suck. I way rather would watch the SEC. So, yeah, I, I, I love SEC football. I am a stan of their programs. I think they're fun to watch. I think they're – I would rather watch an SEC game, especially now that they're getting good quarterbacks in that conference. The SEC is way more compelling than, like, Washington State against Utah or something like that. I just don't – I don't know. I love the SEC and – it's weird that they get hate nationally because they every year and almost every week in college football give us really, really good entertainment. Game number three, an SEC game. Number two, Georgia at number 18, Auburn. Georgia on the road. 
They are, Georgia's an unbelievably good football team. They are so, so talented. And they appear to be on this collision course with Alabama where they are, they don't play each other in the regular season. That's, I'm sure that's intentional. And, you know, the SEC does get to decide their schedule. And they, uh, someone, someone fact check me on that. That's, I, I know they create the schedule. Is that intentional? I don't know. I certainly am glad they don't play each other in the regular season because they can meet now in the SEC title game, Alabama-Georgia. That'll be cool. Here's the thing. In order for Georgia to capitalize on their great football team and be ready for that matchup against Alabama, they need to go into that game undefeated, in my opinion. And this game on the road at Auburn, number 18 Auburn, against a good quarterback, Bo Nix, this is a... A game Georgia should win, right? Should and do do not always line up. And the difference between a national title season and a year where you have a really good year and you win a bowl game often is can you survive your bad game? Every year, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, every year, every team has a bad game. I don't care who you are. Everybody has that one close game where you slip up a little bit. You miss a play here and there. A team keeps it closer than you're comfortable with. You have to win that one bad game. Every, like, last year, Clemson lost to Notre Dame. Remember that? I remember that. Every year, there's something like that. I am hoping this is not that game for Georgia. I want Georgia to go undefeated. I am rooting for storylines. I want Georgia, Alabama, SEC title game. That will be really, really fun. But let's not, let's not forget that Auburn, and let's acknowledge how good Auburn is. They could challenge Georgia here. If a, if a player or two goes the wrong way, you throw an interception, you run a wrong route on third down, you muff a punt. Like, if things go slightly in favor of Auburn, they have a, a shot here. And so I am hoping and looking for Georgia to take care of business and dominate an opponent. But again, if things go the wrong way, this could be that one bad game a year that you lose for Georgia. Game number four. Oh, boy. Kinnick Stadium. Game starts at 4 p.m. The sun will be going down. Number four, Penn State at number three, Iowa. The Hawkeyes, baby. This is a game uh, probably, man, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I can't trust that. I, I know Texas, Oklahoma is going to be really, really fun. I don't really know how good... Georgia Auburn is it, it, it could go that Georgia wins by 40 points over Auburn I don't think so but it could be this is the game I can most rely on is going to be really interesting it's two good defenses it's going to be fun it's going to be exciting there's no obvious mismatch here it's a classic Big Ten game both teams are five and zero. I do worry and that worry is the wrong word I think that the the thing to look for here is Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford. I worry he's going to get frustrated because Iowa's got a really good defense, and he is a dynamic quarterback who's made some big plays, having a pretty good year. Like, he's had bad years in the past. I've criticized him. Sean Clifford's playing pretty well this year. But will he get frustrated against a really good defense and start to force a throw here and there, hold onto the ball too long? If that begins to happen, the game significantly tips in favor of Iowa. Iowa's got a quarterback... Spencer Petrus, who is a game manager. He's not a star, but he's also not going to make that crucial error that Sean Clifford 
I remember Minnesota versus Penn State. Was it last year? Was it two years ago? I think it was two years ago before COVID hit. Penn State, Minnesota, Sean Clifford had multiple really bad, crucial mistakes because he got frustrated against a good defense. How far has Sean Clifford come? Spencer Petras is not going to make that mistake. He's a game manager. He's boring to watch. Iowa's quarterback, but he's not going to have a game-breaking mistake. I think that you know if he plays clean, has no turnovers, then Iowa will probably win. But Penn State at Iowa, going to be a great game. Keep your eye on the defensive battle between Iowa and the Penn State quarterback, Sean Clifford. Can he stay patient? Check down. Take what the defense gives you. You go three and out. Don't get frustrated. Can he avoid forcing throws into coverage? That would, If he does, that would be a lot of development for Sean Clifford. And uh, I'm excited. Man, Penn State at Iowa. Going to be a really fun, really, really interesting game. Okay. Um, on Thursday night football, we get to see the LA Rams at the Seattle Seahawks. And this is a big game for LA. They are coming off of a... 17-point loss at home to Arizona, and the Rams need to bounce back. Now, Seattle, they're 2-2. Two and two. Can you imagine, by the way, if Seattle wins here? They started bad, and if they end up 3-2 and two, tied with the Rams after this game, oh, I mean, I remember. Look, Seattle, they panicked. They had a bad game or two, but just think about it. If Seattle does win this game, the swing between 2-3 and three, or three and two tied with the Rams in the division. That's a big, massive difference. Be huge. And Seattle's offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, last year coached for the LA Rams. He knows that team very, very well. Seattle has a shot here. It's going to be fun. It's a short week. I'm really, really excited for this game. I can't wait. And I, I got to be honest, I would love to see Seattle win. People think I hate the Seahawks. I don't at all. I, if Seattle won this game, it would create chaos. You have Arizona alone at the top of the division. The Rams and Seahawks are both three and two. Russell Wilson certainly can make that happen. Uh, Russell Wilson is a guy who we've seen him do it before, beat really good football teams. And, and the pressure here is all on the Rams. That's not good. Matthew Stafford, I love him. Uh, I thought last week in a big game, eh, laid a goose egg, didn't play very well. So here's another big game for the L.A. Rams against Seattle on the road. The pressure is on L.A. They have these big goals. They talk about, we're, we're trying to win a Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford came here to win a Super Bowl. Okay. Okay, let's see it. Let's see you go on the road against a really tough Seattle crowd and a great quarterback, Russell Wilson. Let's see you go on the road Take care of business and beat Seattle. Seattle has nothing to lose, and that is dangerous. I would not want to play Seattle. Backed into a corner, at home, Thursday night football, nothing to lose. The year's not gone very well anyway. You're 2-2. Two and two. What? I, I just really think that this is a dangerous game for the Rams. The Rams need to win. How will Matthew Stafford play? Will the defense do anything to stop Russell Wilson? I, I just, man, this feels like a, we're building towards... I think Seattle might win. I'm getting really, like, the more I think about it, I'm like, oh, man. And what if the Rams lose two games in a row? And think of how vindicated all those people who for years blamed Matthew Stafford for the Detroit Lions' lack of winning. They're going to go, told you. 
Told you, bleep. They're going to say, <laughs> all those people that doubt Matthew Stafford, if they lose on Thursday Night Football, are going to feel really, really vindicated. All right, guys, uh, that is all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. Hope you enjoyed Ask Zach. And uh, until next time, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.